0: Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers.
1: I'm Joe. That's Julie, and glad to be back with you again, talking about what we've read and what we thought about it.
0: We well, I had a lot of things to talk about.
1: I do not have very many things to talk about.
0: That's okay. I'm gonna get started, if that is okay with you. Go for it. All right. So here's my list. The first thing that I read over the last two weeks is *The Bodyguard* by Catherine Center. I love Catherine Center. She writes just really um, sweet, romantic stories do door romances. So, if you just like a really sweet story, any of her books would be excellent to get. Um, they don't build on each other. Sometimes they involve the same characters, but most of the time, the stories are just standalone. In this one, um, a young woman is a, a, she's a bodyguard. She's a professional um, bodyguard, and she is called on to be a bodyguard for a massive celebrity in the United. This is another one of those celebrity stories that I've read so many of this year. Um, but she's called on to be a, a bodyguard for him as he goes home to help. His mother has just gotten cancer. They live in Texas, and so he goes home to his family's ranch to be there for her. The problem is he doesn't want his parents to know that he has had stalkers and some death threats lately, and so the only way he agrees to this bodyguard situation is if she will go as his girlfriend. And...
1: Wow, so kind of like Miss Congeniality almost, but backwards.
0: I, I guess, kind of. Yeah, I've heard some other people say it's like another movie, but backwards, but I don't I just, it was a, a really sweet story, um, thoroughly enjoyable all the way through. Um, then I read The Confidence to Write by Liz Prather. This is an education book. Um, Liz Prather is a Kentucky writer, actually, who teaches, I think, in Lexington, and she wrote this book about helping students in the classroom learn to build confidence and identity as a writer. I don't usually talk on here about professional kinds of books that I read, but this one really, while it does have exercises for students and for teachers, it's actually just a good book on writing and on building a writing habit and on establishing a writing identity.
1: It's always nice to combine a uh, professional title with something you actually enjoy.
0: Yeah, it was a great book. The next one is called The Wedding Date by Jasmine Guillory. I read this one ages ago when it came out. I want to say it was a couple of years when it came out. Um, This one is the story of (laughs) two people who meet in an elevator when it gets stuck. Both of them are at different points in their romantic and professional lives. Um, The guy, gosh, his name is slipping my mind. I read this one two weeks ago, and so the the main (laughs) character's names are gone. But um, the guy is here in town for a wedding, and he has no date. It's his ex's wedding, and so he impulsively asks her to go with him. She's his wedding date, even though they just met in the elevator, and she also has to go as his girlfriend. Builds from there. Very predictable story. Um, I reread it now because it uh, we we're, were talking about it in a book club that I have this month. Um, weirdly enough, it's, it's a food book club. And so I actually just reread this book because I was I could not remember this book being about food at all and it's not it's it's a very very much open door romance um where they occasionally eat things and it I I don't know how to Do they is. eat
1: things while they're romantic? I'm no,
0: not. it's just like <laughs> it it's just I
1: felt it needed to be asked.
0: There's a lot know. of tacos in here and it's very I don't know why it's here for a food book club. But anyway, that, the powers that be chose it. So I reread it. Still don't know why we're reading it. Um, but, you know, it, it was a decent little romance. So if that's what you want, just don't go in expecting a food book. All right. Then I read Muhammad Ali Was a Chicken by Dan Gutman. Talked about the first book in this kind of little series. Last time, I think, when I read Teddy Roosevelt Was a Moose by Dan Gutman. Um, I read this again with our son. Just to go back quickly, this little series takes a famous figure and two siblings in the store. a boy and a girl tell the story of this person's life, but they do it through trying to find the most exciting and strange kinds of facts about the person that they can tell. Son is a big our son is a big Muhammad Ali fan, and so there would be lots of times in this book where they would say, "Well, I bet you didn't know this," and he would say, "Um." Yeah, everybody knows that. So, This one was not as eye-opening for him as Teddy Roosevelt but it was still a really good book. The next one that I read is The President is Missing by James Patterson and Bill Clinton. This is a thriller. This was given to me by somebody that I work with um, several months ago and I'm just now getting around to reading it. Lots of library holds came in so I've had this one on my shelf for forever. Um, the President of the United States in this book is being threatened with a uh, digital virus that could destroy the entire country and has to figure out how to stop it. And so Bill Clinton apparently was the advisor on all things like White House and presidency and all those kinds of things when James Patterson worked his thriller magic. Um, It was a really, really fun book. It's 500 pages, and I think I still finished it in two days because it was so fast-paced. The chapters are really short, which made it really easy to pick up and put down. Whenever somebody needed something, it was just fun, and it wasn't scary, and I don't like thrillers that are scary, so it was good.
1: This Clinton guy could uh, go someplace, I don't know, keep an eye (laughs) on him, I suppose. (laughs)
0: Um, Every now and then, there would be something that the president said or did, and I'm like, yes, I hear you, Bill Clinton, (laughs) loud and clear. (laughs) So the fictional
1: president feeling anyone's pain? Is that (laughs) fair to ask?
0: Uh, all right, the next book that I read, I, I read a lot this week, um, these past two weeks, um, is called Dessert Can Save the World by Christina Tosi. I probably should have looked that up before I did this. She's the owner of Milk Bar, which, if you don't know, do you know?
1: You told me, but it just, just one of those things that slid right off my mind. It's
0: a collection of dessert recipes. She began it in New York City, and now they're all over the place. Um, and they do really like unusual kinds of desserts, lots and lots of fun that they have with their desserts. This book, was, it had really long chapters, had a, a memoirist nature. She talked about how she got where she was and how she built Milk Bar, but really the overall theme of every chapter was just looking for joy, how um, creating desserts is a way of creating joy and that you should look for whatever it is in your life that gives you joy and look for ways to bring other people joy. So it was just a really fun book to read. I um, was inspired to make some desserts that did not work out. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't
1: save anywhere else around here I,
0: I didn't and yet they still tasted good even if they were really ugly and kind of flopped so anyway I had some other ideas from reading this book so you may get some more desserts over the next few I'm weeks
1: I'm in favor of that I thought looking at your list I thought it was that des- that desert can no. save the world which I wondered about this ecological book that I had totally missed but no
0: sorry no ecology this week Next one is called The Dead Romantics by Ashley Poston. Our main character is trying to make it in New York City as a writer. She's a ghost writer for a famous romance writer, but she no longer believes in love. Ever since her boyfriend broke up with her, she cannot seem to finish this last novel. The other thing about her that is very different is that she can see ghosts. Her family runs a funeral home and she and her father can see ghosts. Her father believes that the ghosts are there, that you're supposed to help them. She believed the same thing until she was about 12, 13 years old, and she helped a ghost solve his own murder. And then everyone in the town thought she was a freak. And so she's kind of been pushing away ghosts for a long time until she looks up one day and her new editor is a ghost. And so it, it was an interesting, quirky premise. Um, really kind of predictable, but I liked the unusual way that the story was told.
1: That's different.
0: And I really liked her family who owned this funeral home. Mm -hmm. It was really fun. Next one is called Learning in America by Luma Muffle. And my sister's probably screaming at me right now because this is her book. And she knows exactly how to pronounce this author's name. And I didn't ask. Um, Learning in America is the story of Luma's um, journey to create a school. And now a series of schools um, throughout the United States based on helping refugees children to gain ground that they missed educationally where whether they missed it from being in refugee camps or just from the upheaval of immigration itself lots of times um children who are immigrants show up in our schools and they are behind on grade levels for american standards lots of times they are the school system for all it tries to do the best for every student that it can, um, these students can sometimes fall through the cracks. And Luma looked at this and said, this, this can't happen. So she created schools to specifically help those students make up their standards. It was a gorgeous story, just really, really powerful and inspiring. And as we move towards starting a new school year, I am bringing everything that she said with me. Um, it, it's it's going to be there impacting what I do.
1: Yeah, you shared some of the more uh, potent sections with me, and it really is um, a wake-up call for a segment of the population that's often out of sight, out of mind, and it's good to have uh, books telling the story, and it's good to have uh, this very important work.
0: And even if you are not in a school system, I think that this would be a really interesting and important book to read just to help you understand the plight of the immigrant and particularly the plight of the refugee as those numbers are growing all over the world and growing in different sectors of our country. Um, We have a burgeoning and beautiful uh, refugee population here in our town. And I just think that this book and books like it are really useful for helping us to understand and be a little more empathetic.
1: Certainly. Certainly.
0: Okay, two more, two more. The next one is Congratulations, Who Are You Again by Harrison Scott Key. This is a reread. I think we've mentioned him several times on here. Harrison Scott Key wrote a book about his father, a memoir about his father, which earned him a nice award, got him lots and lots of attention. It was a great book. It's a great
1: book, too, yeah.
0: We really loved it. It combines just the right amount of humor and pathos. You laugh, you cry. It's gorgeous. Then he wrote this book, Congratulations, <laughs> Who Are You Again, about what it's like to have written a book and to feel like you've done something really great. This book, just it, it, it's everything that's in your heart. It's everything in your soul. And nobody cares. <laughs> Even if your book sells really well like his did, nobody cares. Um, they, they've already moved on while you're still rejoicing in what it is you have made. This book made me laugh until I cried it is just straight up hilarious um but it also has its beautiful poignant moments too as he realizes what it while writing this book was wonderful what it is that is actually important in his life
1: and I it was a book that when I read it I would laugh but then I was also a little bit chagrined because I recognized some of this I mean not that <laughs> my stuff is on the same level as his but Anytime you publish a book, there's such a weird slapdash mixture of like optimism and hope, and then the sagging thud of reality when you log on to Amazon on release day and see that it's two point seven million in the world, <laughs> and, and yeah, you know, the the eight reviews you get on there uh, suddenly don't lead the masses to realize that you are. The missing spawn of, uh, you know, Tolstoy and Faulkner, uh, which I mean, is hard when you write baseball books anyway. <laughs> but uh, well, yeah.
0: these are the exact things that he talks about. Oh yeah,
1: it's so fun.
0: Um, the way that sometimes the people who write the worst criticisms of you on Amazon will be people you know, <laughs> your family members. Fortunately, like, I,
1: had, I don't think your I've had pastor that.
0: <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, so although
1: the woman who gave us the one star review because she didn't like the quality of shipping the book arrived very damaged that that one still sings my soul a little bit yeah as obviously i pack every book for for sale by amazon
0: anyway (laughs) that is it's just one of our favorite books forever so you should check it out it's super fun (laughs) last book for me and then i promise i'm letting you talk um anne of west philly by ivy Noel weir and illustrated by maisha haynes This book is a graphic novel that modernizes Anne of Green Gables and this is a book that our daughter Natalie got and read and then gave to me and I read it it's a super fast read if you are a fan of Anne of Green Gables there will be parts where you're just like whoa (laughs) too much too much because you loved (laughs) you loved Anne so much Um, but this heroine was just as captivating in her own way And they did a really good job of pulling a lot of the important parts of the story and then modernizing those things. I thought it was a really clever take on Anne. It's not going to replace your beloved Anne Shirley, my beloved Anne Shirley. Um, But it's a really cool way to maybe even attract new readers to her story and help people, um, help new people find their way to Green Gables.
1: You like the movies, right? The, the ones that were, I think, PBS. The
0: original. Yeah, yeah the original yeah. ones. I never watched the new ones that Netflix.
1: No, no. The PBS did. ones are the ones that I know because we got them yeah. for my grandma. So, yeah. you know, yeah.
0: Yeah, so anyway, this book is definitely also worth reading. It's a really, it's a it's a good adaptation. Okay, I'm sorry. I know I talked too long. You're up.
1: You've read a lot of books. I do not, so I will not talk as long particularly since the first book I read was Big Book of Who Basketball by the editors of Sports Illustrated for Kids. So, hey,
0: you love that. You know,
1: it was a fun little book. It, uh, it used a Q&A format. Who was the first player to average you know, 15 assists a game, and then it would have you know, the rest of the page about whoever it was. Uh, props to them for including the WNBA. We uh, picked Excellent. up some knowledge on that front. Uh, and they had plenty of players, young and old. Some of these were kind of funny, obscure ways to, to like have an excuse. Uh, I mean, anytime you're using numbers as a basis to like get to the story of so-and-so, you're like, who was the guy who had 30 points after drinking seven cans of soda on a Tuesday? Well, it was Chris Paul, you know, and we're like, okay, that felt a little contrived. But no, it, it was a fun book. It It reads quickly because of that format. We'd read a few pages and... Move along, and that's uh, that's how I went through another kid book. Awesome. Uh, the Summer Game by Roger Angel. I managed to hit all three major sports this time, hmm. uh, in the American sense of the word, anyway. Uh, the Summer Game is Angel's, I think, first book, and he wrote baseball for the New Yorker. He got into this later in life, he lived past 100. I got to know him really, as many did, through Ken Burns' baseball, where he is one of the interview subjects who tells stories of his time around the game. Um, It was a cool book, went up through the early 70s, and he would just write about various topics. It's interesting to see uh, times when he was kind of ahead of uh, his time and talking about the the labor environment, things like that, but also just from a standpoint of what was going on in baseball, the... uh, Rise and Fall of the New York Yankees. And then uh, he's talking about Roberto Clemente in some of the last chapters. So uh, it was an interesting book. He passed away fairly recently, and that's why I wanted to go back and read this. I'd never really read his stuff, but he is one of the great baseball writers, and justifiably. Awesome. Then Boise State of Mind, which has a lovely subtitle, The Emergence of College Football's Grittiest Underdog by Joel Gunderson. Uh, I was all about this. It's about college football and, you know, my uh, affliction for loving college football teams that come from nowhere. Maybe it's being a fan of Kentucky football over the years. Maybe it's my love of playing those old NCAA video games where the thing to do always was take the worst team in the game. And within like three seasons, you had the greatest team ever assembled and you were beating everybody by 100 points. But that's pretty close to what actually happened at Boise State. I mean, they they uh, really kind of came up from nothing to be one of the premier, you know, in a lesser sense programs in the sport. They're not Notre Dame. They're not Alabama. Uh, but outside of those kind of teams, Boise State is one that people think about and talk about. And it was interesting to see. The, the biggest question I had was how they kept the momentum across the coaching changes, because what happens when you – a school that's a program builder like that is you get a great coach in and he's young and he's exciting and everybody loves him and three years later he takes 20 million dollars to go coach at state u two states over uh chris peterson went to washington that's the one i'm really thinking of when i say that but the same thing happened one guy left after one year Uh, you know (laughs) so how do you manage to get through that well some good luck some good hires. It's funny, one of the guys who they hired who made a big difference in their program, they had looked at him like three different times and not hired him. And then they finally came back to him and they hired him and he did a great job. So, you know, uh, if I could write the recipe, I'd write my own book about it and and sell millions, but uh, it's a subject I'll be talking about in my next book, talking about Kentucky football. But if it's hard in Lexington, it's harder in Boise. (laughs) I mean, to get kids, out there and to, to coach them up and to go beat some of the giants of college football. So it made it a fun story, really yeah, interesting. Absolutely. Well, and so with three relatively light books on the three major sports, then I was ready for one serious book. There's some other good ones some uh, that I'm not going to talk about yet because they're not quite finished, but there's some good stuff on the horizon. But the shared book today. We did the rare thing where it wasn't one either of us had read before, so I had to scramble to finish it. Surprise, surprise. But it was entirely worth it.
0: This was a five-star book for me. One of my top of the year. Okay, so this week our shared read is Southernmost by Silas House.
1: And I think we were both just kind of gobsmacked by it. Um, We hold his work in very high regard anyway, Uh, but when I finished it said I think this might be his finest novel that I've read, and I've read, I think majority. Maybe not all, but close to all. I think
0: we've read all of his novels. I think we may have missed some plays and short stories.
1: Okay, that that sounds right. Um, You know, Wendell Berry is a name that you think about a lot when you talk about Kentucky writers, and House has the same chops. He has the same ability to write vivid characters who come to life. He writes about place phenomenally well. Uh, but for this novel, he kind of stepped out of his box a little bit. The others have all been Kentucky. And Appalachian uh, novels. Yeah, and, and this one uh, starts and ends in, in Tennessee, uh, but in between, a large portion of the story is in Key West, Florida. So
0: And it's interesting because Silas House writes settings so well, and if you've read his other novels, you might think that he writes settings so well just because that's where he lived. But he does just as well bringing to life Tennessee, and Key West like they are characters of their own.
1: Well, and he stretches himself, I think, because there were other parts of this story that he wanted to draw the focus on. He didn't want it to be just another Kentucky book. I guess. I, I'm, I'm putting words Make in his mouth. I have here. no idea. Um, but the novel is the story of a small town uh, evangelical Christian preacher.
0: His name is Asher, which seems to carry some religious... And symbolic significance.
1: He uh, and his family are in the middle of a flood and a sad tragedy that, as I read this book, Eastern Kentucky is in the middle of one of the worst floods uh, probably in recorded history, uh, which which just seemed eerie and strange to me and has no significance outside the fact that that's real and this is a story. Uh, but in this flood, his son has wandered off and is brought back by two men who it turns out are gay. And in the moment, this augurs no real importance to Asher. It's only later when these two men come to his church that the collision of the personal and the professional becomes very real. And he has to confront uh, the way he's been raised to think, and the new realities uh, that that are coming into his life, and that collision becomes pretty chaotic, pretty uncomfortable, and it changes his life.
0: And it is set. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right in the wake of the Supreme Court's legalization of marriage. Yeah. So there's mention of of people like in Kentucky, the small town county clerks who would not. Um, legalized marriage. Yeah, Kim
1: Davis is called out by name at one point. That was the other thing I was mm -hmm. thinking. Yeah, it's obviously in the wake of that.
0: Yeah, so this was a big topic at the time in this area. It was um, a law that had tremendous effect and upheaval in tiny little Pentecostal churches, like the one in which he was a pastor.
1: So Pastor Asher speaks his mind and is essentially run out for it.
0: When he speaks his mind... What he speaks is, be kind to people. Love people. Yeah. And is essentially run out of town for it. And so the rest of the novel is his search for himself, for truth, for the path that he wants to follow, and that he wants to make sure that his son follows.
1: Yeah. And... There's a lot more to it. That's not much of a spoiler. That's a very bare-bones skeleton of of, of what the novel entails. But we don't
0: want to give anything away. This is definitely a literary novel, but this is a novel that is well plotted. If you talk about it too much, you're going to give away important things.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, But suffice it to say that it is a sensitive, thoughtful handling of the topic of the collision of love and responsibility. Um,
0: Who is my neighbor is what well, comes and, and, to your mind again and again as you read this book.
1: And what is the good faith I owe him? You know, what does that look like? What does like? it mean
0: to love my neighbor?
1: Yeah. yeah. It, many times the the... Phrase uh, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin comes up. What 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 is that going to look like? Is that even a thing? And if that is a thing, how do you reconcile?
0: I told you that as I read this book, I thought of To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, so many times, just the idea of empathy. Of it's too often that we look at each other and we don't really look at each other and recognize the common humanity that connects all of us. And when we don't recognize that common humanity, it's easy to make decisions that hurt people around us and that can have bigger impact than we imagine.
1: And in the end, again, I, I felt like it was phenomenal. I thought his sensitivity, his fairness uh, toward all of the characters in his story was, was pretty profound. Um yeah, th- this was a topic I can't say I particularly wanted to sit down and dive into in a novel, but it was such a great novel that I'm sorry that it took me as long as it did to get to it. I wish I'd read it sooner.
0: 100% agree.
1: Uh, so, you know, Southernmost by Silas House, it's, uh, it's quite a read. It's uh, a book that's going to make you think a little bit about the way you think. And and that's probably a good thing.
0: I think that's excellent. I think that it's really only the best books that can push you in exactly the way this one does. Yeah. And he has a new book coming out soon. I believe it is called Lark Ascending. I don't have the exact, I think it's set in Ireland mostly. Um, But I don't remember the exact date that it's coming out. But I can tell you, I can't wait. Whatever it is, I'm so excited to read it. Will not be waiting on this one. Cannot yeah.
1: wait. Phenomenal. So, from the the sublime to the gritty, uh, dirty, I, I've, I've got you reading a novel, and and it's <laughs> kind of a, a famous pot boiler. So,
0: yes, next time we will be discussing the Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler.
1: One of my favorites, and. In- in desperation over my meager t- <laughs> shelf of titles, you, you went to so. it. We
0: needed you to pick a book. I picked everything. so well,
1: I read a fine book for much of this period that I didn't quite finish, and I'll talk about next time. But everybody doesn't have to share my sensibilities. Maybe <laughs> The Big Sleep will be more to your taste.
0: I'm looking forward to giving it a shot. If you have any thoughts about any of the books that we've talked about today, if you have any recommendations for books that you think we would both like, and should take on as a shared read, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com, on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod, or on Twitter at feedbackreaderspod.
1: Thanks so much for listening, and whatever else is going on, for goodness sakes, keep reading.